Hey guys, good morning. Uh, good to see you today. Uh, I want to talk to you today about intimacy with God. I think by virtue of the fact of being here today, intimacy with God is probably somewhat on your grid. Um, let me un- unpack what I mean. I've come across a lot of people that want to have an experience with God in such a way that it's real, and that it's personal, and that it's holistic, meaning it's not just a set of ideas. Isn't it so easy to do this, to reduce God to kind of a set of beliefs or ideas, this theoretical thing, almost like he's a math problem. I can know it, but it doesn't mean I love it or spend time with it. But I think there's a lot of us, and I'm going to make the bet that I'm speaking for some of you today, that there's this desire to have something different with God than a math problem. That you want to have what gets coined and cliched as a relationship. And what that basically means is to have that, that personal experience. You feel him, you know, you know him. You experience, you talk with him. He's close to you, you're close to him. And all the goodness that brings. But along with that, I want to talk to you today about the issue, I think, that gets created in that. I can speak for myself in this. Maybe I'm speaking for you as well, but I've come across so many people who in that desire for intimacy with God have gotten just so bloody frustrated and despondent because often it seems like you find yourself in this place going, why why don't I feel him? Why don't I experience him? Why doesn't it seem real? Where's that sense of closeness? It can get really hard when that intimacy that we want seems to be absent. And the struggle, of course, is I want it back. Or how do I access it? Or how do I even maybe step into it for the very first time? And you kind of feel sometimes, I know a lot of people do, like you're groping in the dark, like you're guessing, or that you're, you're stuck waiting passively, that it's almost like winning some kind of spiritual lotto. You know, I, I guess I can buy a ticket, but I don't really know how to manipulate the numbers my favor, so hope, hope, hope. And you find yourself in that place where the intimacy the Bible talks about just isn't there. It just isn't alive. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Now, we've been going through these weird songs and these strange prayers known as the Psalms. And the Psalms are laden with this idea. Beginning to end, you see these songwriters just struggling with this idea of intimacy with God. I like how Psalm 42 puts it. He goes, as the deer pants for water, or if you've never seen that, as my dog pants on a 105-degree day when he's tied up, my soul pants for you, O God. But it's interesting to me that as they wrestle with this, finding it really isn't a mystery for them. And I want to show you what I mean. Pull out a Bible, if you would. And I want to take you to just one of these songs today. And it's Psalm 15. And what I want to do is just look at how it deals with this question or this issue 
of having intimacy with God. Psalm 15. And it goes like this. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? Now don't blow past the question. What is this guy doing? Well, he's crying, God, who can come near you? Because in the Jewish mind, God was found in his temple. And that temple was then on a mountain or a holy hill. So when he says, who can come into your sanctuary? Who can go on your holy hill? He's not saying, who can go on some kind of expedition, a mountain climb? He's not saying, who can walk into a church somewhere? He's saying, God, who can come into your presence? I want to be in your presence. I want to be near you. Who can be near you? And here's how he answers it. He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury, and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Here's my question for you today. How do you measure up? He asks the question, God, who can be near you? Who can be in your presence? And for him, it's no mystery. Here's who. The one whose ways is blameless. How do you measure up? The one who does what is righteous. How you sit with that? And then it goes on and lists some examples. Not a comprehensive list, but just a splattering, a sampling, right? Of what that kind of blamelessness and righteous will look like. These songwriters of the Bible, they, they yearned for this intimacy with God too, but for them it was no mystery. Do you want intimacy with God? I mean, do you want to be close and personal and real and alive, you know? I say it's simple. Be holy. How does that sit with you today? Because I tell you, it really stinks for me. Here's how Jesus will put it. He says this. It's the same question his disciples bring to him. And they want to be close to him, near with him. He says, I'm going away. It's like, no, we want to be near you. This is what he says. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Do you want to be with me? Do you want to feel me? Do you want to know me? Do you want to experience me? It's simple. Obey what I command. Be holy. Oh. I've been a... I've been memorizing Psalm 119. Um, I think I shared that with some of you before. And for those of you unfamiliar, it's this, this epic poem of, of this guy or girl just unloading his or her heart with this yearning for intimacy with God. And I'm struck by it. The more I go through it, the more... <sighs> It strikes me how consumed this psalm writer is with 
Stepping into what God says is that path to intimacy with him. Let me share with you how it starts. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless. You want to be blessed? All right, be blameless. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the Torah of Yahweh. Blessed are those who keep his statutes, who seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong. They follow his ways. God, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed, and the guy can't even get four verses in before he goes, oh, that my ways were blameless. Oh, that that were true of me. Oh, that my ways were blameless in keeping your decrees, then I would not be put to shame when I consider your your righteous laws. I'll praise you with an upright heart. I'll learn your decrees. I'll do them. Oh, God, do not utterly forsake me. The psalm writer knew it. He thirsted for God, that intimacy, and he knew what was getting in the way that God was holy and that he was not. And by virtue of that, there was a separation there, a separation from that intimacy of the presence of God. But it strikes me how much in this psalm he hungers for it. You can read on verse after verse of him crying out things like, God, don't hide your word from me. God, let the scales fall from my eyes so I can see this one line I like. My soul is consumed with longing for the Lord and his ways. I meditate on his precepts by day and consider them by night. The guy is drunk on it. He is obsessed and consumed. And I step back from that, and I don't know if I'm consumed with anything in my life to that degree, let alone the ways of God. How about you? Came across a poem. Kind of sums it up for me. Maybe it'll speak to you. It's by Wilbur Reese. Let me read it. It's entitled, I Would Like Three Pounds of God. I would like to buy three pounds worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love my enemy or pick beats with the migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy three pounds of God, please. Lord, just be there enough. Just be there enough to make me feel good, to make me feel warm inside but not enough that goes to the level of where you say real intimacy is. And it begs a question here today. What's your spiritual temperature? What's your level of fervor for this? I I meet some people. 
who say, man, you know, when it comes to knowing it, I'm like a 10. I want to know what it is. I want to have it solved. I want to have it figured out. I want to know it. Man, I want to know it. But when it comes to doing it, different story. It's kind of like losing weight, right? Man, I want to lose weight so bad. But when it comes to doing it, because let's face it, there's just way too much ice cream and bacon in the world and way too much good TV, isn't there? I meet some people. And some people are just straight up. They're like, you know, I, I, I just don't really give a rip. God, I, I mean, yeah, I, bless me, please. I'll go for it, but I don't care. I meet some other people who are delusional. They think they're a 10. They say they're a 10. They act like they're a 10. But you ask them, like, what the Ten Commandments are, and they can't even come up with, like, four. Right? You ask them, when the last time they've, like the psalm writer, meditated on this thing, and they're like, uh, 2003? And I meet some other people that, that feel like they're caught in this perpetual cycle of crash and burn. You want it, you go for it, you fail. You want it, you go for it, you fail. You want it, you go for it, you fail. And are left in this place of futility going can I ever have that? Can I ever see that or taste that? And some people I meet are just blown with the wind. How about you? What's your level of fervency? What is your spiritual temperature here today? Because see, that question right there is the essence of another psalm that I want to show you today. And this one is number 14. If you'd look at this with me. We looked at 15 just a second ago. And a lot of people will say 14 and 15 were originally meant to go together. Like sung back to back. And it puts it this way. He says, you know what? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. And then it says, you know, the Lord looked down from heaven on the sons of men. That's me and you, people born to human beings. We are the sons of men. The Lord looked down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there was anyone who understood. Are there any who understand? Any who seek God? Look how he answers. All have turned aside they have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. It's fascinating to me that, that a follower of Jesus later on named Paul will quote that exact same psalm when he writes to some early believers as he's making his case that, that all of us seem to fall short of this standard and therefore intimacy that the scriptures talk about with God. He'll write, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. Not even one. All have taken the tumble. And it creates a real dilemma. Because what it means is that God who is holy 
is separated in some way from us who are not. And I want to illustrate this in a certain way. Hopefully this will help. Now, it seems from looking at like Psalm 15, and maybe from other things you know, that God has a certain standard, right? God sets the bar, and let's put that bar here. And that God is on this side of the bar. So to be with God, to have that intimacy and that relationship, that experience, it means to join him where he's at. Are you with me? Now what I'd like to do is I'd like to just kind of go through a a thought experiment with you of plotting where we think various people might be in relation to hitting this line, this bar, this standard, this place. Are you with me? All right, let's start with maybe an easy one. And what I'm going to do when I say the name is I'm just going to kind of start going up and you tell me where to stop and that's where I'm going to plot the person. Make sense? Okay. Let's start with this one. Mother Teresa, how close to the bar do you think Mother Teresa gets? You tell me when to stop. Okay. Some of you may debate it. Some of you may be a little higher. Some of you may be a little lower, but um, squeaky wheel gets the oil. I I heard the bulk say stop. So right here, you see that okay? Does that work? Okay. Right there, we have got Mother Teresa. All right? Now, let's go to the opposite spectrum. Let's go to the opposite side of things. And let's take another cliche or stereotypical name. Let's go with Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Okay? Where would you plot Adolf Hitler on this chart? Tell me when to stop. I haven't even given a hand on it yet. What does that mean? Okay, wait, wait. Tell me when to stop. Well, take it up with him, man. He said to keep going. I don't know what to tell you. Right, right about here? Right about here? Lower? Okay, I got to be able to write on the paper, guys, all right? So, all right. All right. Let's give Hitler one degree benefit of the doubt and put him right there. Okay. Now, I want you to think of your grandma. Not the weird one, the one you like. Okay. <laughs> I want you to think of your grandma and tell me when to stop. All right, all right. So we got my grandma and then we'll put the good one. Anyone here with their spouse today? Where would you put your spouse? Don't answer that one. Now here's what I'd like you to do. 
And you don't have to shout this out, okay? In fact, I'd prefer you don't on this one, but here's what I'd like you to do. Plot yourself on this chart. Where would you tell me to stop if I was asking about you? Right? Plot yourself on the chart. Did you do it? Do you have kind of a a sense mentally of the range or spectrum in which you'd fall? My bet this morning is this. That not one of you here has probably put yourself lower than Hitler. Though maybe there's a few. My bet is also this. That not one of you here put yourself higher than Mother Teresa. Though maybe there's one or two delusional people here. (laughs) The point is this. By your own admission and limited understanding of what God's bar is, collectively what we've said is that no one seems to hit it. That collectively there seems to be this understanding that all have fallen short. And the thing is this, God doesn't grade on a curve. I'm not so much talking about judgment or something like that here today as I'm talking about intimacy with God. Because do you know what holy means? The word holy, we throw it around in church all the time, but do you know what it actually means? To the ancients, it meant this, to be set apart. Something that is holy is something that is separated apart. Something that is put over here, often for a special purpose or in a special way. And God is holy. God is set apart from the realities of our life and the experience of who we are. And that means God in us There's a distance. There's a barrier because that's what unholiness does. It distances us from that real, personal, amazing presence of intimacy with God. And the struggle, I think, for so many of us has come into terms with that. There's a song I'd like to play you today. We're going to go... Um, little old school country, drop some Kenny Rogers action on you, all right? Um, but, but there's something in this song that I think is, is just so amazingly poignant to this. So kind of just kick back and uh, have a listen, and then we'll come back up for air. Little boy in a baseball hat stands in the field. With his ball and bat Says I am the greatest Player of them all Puts his bat on his shoulder And he tosses up his ball And the ball goes up And the ball comes down Swings his bat all the way around 
The world's so still you can hear the sound The baseball falls to the ground Now the little boy doesn't say a word Picks up his ball, he is undeterred Says I am the greatest there has ever been Grits his teeth and he tries it again. And the ball goes up and the ball comes down, swings his bat all the way around. The world's so still you can hear the sound. The baseball falls to the ground. He makes no excuses, he shows no fear. He just closes his eyes and listens to the cheers. Little boy, he adjusts his hat, picks up his ball, stares at his bat, says, I am the greatest. The game is on the line, and he gives his all one last time. Ball goes up like the moon so bright, swings his bat with all his might. And the world's as still as still can be, and the baseball falls. And that's strike three. Now it's supper time, and his mama calls. Little boy starts home with his bat and ball. Says I am the greatest That is a fact But even I didn't know I could pitch like that Says I am the greatest That is understood But even I didn't know I could pitch that good You guys ever hear that before? That song like awesome. To me, it speaks so much to my own tendency, and I think the tendency of so many others. Here's the problem. I'm like here, and God's bar is there, and intimacy with God is there, and I don't know what to do about it. So what do I do? I try to lower the bar. I try to look at it in a different way. I try to change the rules. I didn't know I was that good of a pitcher, right? I try to reconstruct the reality that I don't want to face, that that intimacy with God is separate from me. Way up here. At what point do you go to that little boy and go, buddy, you struck out? At what point do you go to someone like that and say, you're not the greatest? And if you keep thinking that way, you're living a delusion and a lie. 
at what point do you tell that to yourself in those moments when tempted to so highly overestimate our own mark on the chart in relation to God's bar in intimacy with him. This is the problem that the songwriters wrestled with, that the psalmists sung about and prayed about, knowing, knowing clearly and easily where that presence and intimacy of God was and knowing that they just weren't there. And this is the good news, guys, of Jesus. Because what the scriptures say is that Jesus was there. That Jesus was blameless. That Jesus was righteous. That Jesus enjoyed perfect intimacy with God. And that Jesus lived that holy life. That you and I, no matter if we try as hard as a mama tea, never ever will. And that this Jesus came down from his place of holiness to be with you and me to absorb and take on all of our unholiness and bridge us all from the best of us to the worst of us in intimacy with God that Jesus came to say, there's a way you can have that thing that seems futilely out of reach. You can have it through me. Here's how Paulo put it. All have sinned. All of us. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how nasty you are, how innocent you are. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's the thing. Are justified, are made right, are called right in God's sight. That's what it means. Freely. Not because you rock. Not because you're amazing. Not because you tried really hard. Not because you're better than him. No. He gave it to you freely. By his grace. Through this redemptive act act through this sacrifice, through his death on a cross. God gave it to you through Jesus Christ. And here's what that means, guys. By calling you righteous and dying for you that way, God now looks at you and calls you holy. God looks at you no matter how unholy you are and says, in Jesus, I call you holy. Here's how he puts it. It says, Jesus said, here I am. I have come, God, to do your will. And then the author goes on to say, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and For all, you have been made holy. God looks at you and says you're holy. You go, I don't feel holy. God says you're holy. But it doesn't seem like I'm holy. God says you're holy. But I'm not holy. God says you're holy. 
And what I've come to learn is that God kind of makes the rules. So if God says it's true, I kind of just go with it, right? Or as Paul will write, let God be true and everyone else a liar. Let's go with what God says, even when it redefines reality. And that's what God does. He redefines reality. And then you know what he does? He says, step into the holiness that I've said of you. There's a, one more song I want to play for you today. And to me, it just kind of gets at the heart of this. Um, it's an old Johnny Cash song. So it uh, um, gets a little salty at times, but you can handle it. Um, it speaks to this in the most amazing way. So just listen, and then we'll talk. I want you to, uh, I want you to, to if you don't mind, Carl, I'd like you to stay out and help us on some songs. Play the I'd guitar. Love to. One of the greatest guitar players as well as songwriters and singers in the business. Thank Appreciate you. a little help on the guitar, all right? Well, my daddy left home when I was three And he didn't leave much to Ma and me Just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze Now, I don't blame him cause he run and hid But the meanest thing that he ever did Was before he left, he went and named me Sue Well, he must have thought that it was quite a joke And it got a lot of laughs from a lots of folks Seems I had to fight my whole life through some gal would giggle and I'd get red And some guy'd laugh and I'd bust his head I'll tell you, life ain't easy for a boy named Sue <laughs> Well, I grew up quick and I grew up mean My fists got hard, my wits got keen Roamed from town to town to hide my shame But I made me a vow to the moon and stars I'd search the honky-tonks and bars And kill that man that give me that awful name well, it was Gatlinburg in mid-July And I'd just hit town and my throat was dry I thought I'd stop and have myself a brew At an old saloon on a street of mud There at a table dealing stud Such a dirty mangy dog that named me Sue Well, I knew that snake was my own sweet dad From a worn-out picture that my mother had had And I knew that scar on his cheek and his evil eye he was big and bent and gray and old And I looked at him and my blood ran cold And I said, my name is Sue How do you do? Now you gonna die Yeah, that's what I told him Well, I hit him hard right between the eyes And he went down, but to my surprise Come up with a knife and cut off a piece of my ear but I busted a chair right across his teeth And we crashed through the wall and into the street Kicking and a-gouging in the mud and the blood and the beard I tell you, I fought tougher men But I really can't remember when He kicked like a mule and he bit like a crocodile I heard him laugh and then I heard him cuss And he went for his gun and I pulled mine first He stood there looking at me and I saw him smile And he said, son... This world is rough, and if a man's going to make it, he's got to be tough. And I know I wouldn't be there to help you along. So I give you that name, and I said goodbye. I knew you'd have to get tough or die. And it's that name that helped to make you strong. Yeah, 
said, now you just fought one hell of a fight And I know you hate me and you got the right to kill me now And I wouldn't blame you if you do But you ought to thank me before I die For the gravel in your guts and the spit in the eye Cause I'm the son of a bitch that named you Sue Yeah, well what could I do? What could I do? I got all choked up and I threw down my gun Called him a paw and he called me a son And I come away with a different point of view And I think about him now and then Every time I try and every time I win And if I ever have a son I think I'm gonna name him Bill or George, any damn thing But Sue, I still ain't that thing All right, I think about that, and I'm really good he wasn't my dad, but you know what? God named you something far worse than Sue. He named you holy. He named you holy, and he invites you to step into it with all that it's going to bring you. How did he put it? All the mud and the blood and the spit in your eye? He invites you to step into the name. With all the suffering and ridicule and difficulty he's going to bring you, he invites you to step into the name. God has named you something far worse than Sue. Sorry to those of you named Sue here today. He's named you holy and says that is who you are, that is true of you, and invites us. And the Psalms invite us. The scriptures invite us, God invites us to embrace it, to live it, to own it, to be the essence of what it means, to have the intimacy of relationship with God like a daughter or a son. And that's what these psalms of holiness are all about. Band's going to come up. We're going to commune today, and while we do, they're going to lead us in a song. And I just want to read some of the lyrics before we begin today, okay? We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. O Spirit, come, make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. O Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our soul to another. God, let us be a generation that seeks the face of of you, O God, of Jacob. Maybe today is coming face to face with the reality that you've fallen short. Maybe you've been trying to change the rules, deny it, lower the bar, rationalize it, and maybe it's just, God, today I bow my heart. Lord, today make me humble and bring me out of the delusion. Maybe you're at that place. but you want that intimacy with God. 
Jesus says, whoever hungers and thirsts for righteousness, they'll be filled. And so maybe today it's just crying out and saying, Lord, I know it's true of me, but may I sense it, may I feel it, may I know it more today, wherever you're at. God invites you to that place, and I hope this song becomes a prayer for you that we're about to sing. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup after supper. He gave thanks. He gave it to them and said, drink of this, all of you. My blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Come and do this in remembrance of me. Come to this place of intimacy and connection with me. So welcome, guys.